0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time now for Sensing Bros, a program about whānau, well-being and personal growth. This program is about natural buzz. There's a group of us brothers who are living alcohol and drug-free, and we want to share our stories and celebrate the things that are going right in the world. There's a lot of negativity. We're about positivity. We come from diverse cultural backgrounds, Samoan, Tongan, Māori, and we just want to share the love. Where is the love? Welcome, fellow human beings. It's Tuesday. It's been a grey Monday and this show on Sensing Bros Plains FM will all go into plan B in uh, three parts. If I don't get to do the third part we will do it next time. I hope you're having a reviving, refreshing restful day or at least finding some peace and and surprising moments. If it's more of a grey day, which Monday has been, I'm a therapist, a counselor, and I work in the addiction field with working th- with people with often uh, quite traumatic histories, adverse child experiences. often arriving in distress that they feel is either going to overwhelm them or continue to give them incredible emotional pain or mental anguish. Why do I do that? Why do I work in this space? Well. We might get to that later on, but I've been pondering this idea or these ideas that we cluster around our core beliefs to do with loyalty. So I'm not talking about coffee card loyalty. I'm loyal to two baristas and um, where I work. So just depending on on how I feel either one or the other because they're both really good people their service is is exceptional and because I'm a people person I like to spend a moment really purchasing that coffee from them but you'll all be familiar with kind of loyalty uh, programs perhaps, or ways in which, in the commercial world, uh, loyalty programs are, are really designed to, for repeat purchase, and the deeper ones are designed to have some emotional reward in that process, in that interaction, eh? So what I want to talk about at the beginning is loyalty and hopefully in the second part I can talk about with Wiramu anxiety and some of the the things he does in his work with young people around understanding and managing stress and anxiety. Wiramu is also a counsellor. So here's some startup-up questions that you might want to, th- to think about: What has got your attention? Or what holds our focus? and what sense of commitment do we have to that? It could be a core belief. it could be something that we, we might say we are of a certain religious faith. And within that, there's some fundamental things that we believe are true. And that helps us make sense of ourselves in the world. So making sense, just a really good way of, of thinking quickly about it, is it's making sense of our experience in this world is about working out what is real at least as we're perceiving it what we think is real and meaningful what's significant to us so what's significant to you why is something important to you and something else isn't and on that premise on that basis we can make decisions about the choices so there's with loyalty Sometimes, when I'm with people or working in groups, we talk about that in relational terms by looking at what betrayal looks like or what a broken promise can do, and what promises we actually make to ourselves and to other people. Because a lot of people, you know, fall in love, fall out of love. So, what's happened? And sometimes there's a lot of unarticulated expectations. I mean some people just hook up and you know they've gone from zero to 100 percent. And often, those kind of relationships are built on some unidentified insecurity. So unpacking a lot of that stuff is really is about thinking in terms of our interior desires, expectations once and where they've come from. And there's, there's a lot of stuff online that people can look at in that process of, of thinking about themselves walking through the world in relationships that are either healthy or unhealthy. So loyalty is one of those ideas that can get misused. in the example of a cult leader is probably a really good one. You're loyal to me. um, Because I know what's best for you. That sort of thing. And, I mean, it happens in lots of different settings. So if we don't really have a clear... Appreciation or understanding of what we're loyal to because loyalty involves a commitment to a set of beliefs and expectations. And by committing to that we often think that somebody else is committed to our well-being. And they may be they may be or they may not be so what are we committed to and what are our boundaries I think when we think about um, the manipulation side of trying to get loyalty from other people there's an interesting dynamic because I hear that I, I hear that with sometimes um, religious leaders saying that to be a part of this you need to be loyal to my vision of this truth and the idea of of people seeing themselves as leaders in that space sometimes is not necessarily pastoral it sometimes can be built on real insecurity sometimes I think you see this also in fandom and in the um, celebrity world where fame is given a kind of glamorous kind of Presence So who are you Looking up to Is really Says something about What you Are committed to I'm into this thing At the moment uh, Called existential Positive psychology And you google that online Have a look For Paul Wong's work If you're interested In that sort of thing But really It's a It's thinking about Uh our place in life our sense of fit and this is the other thing I want to talk about a little bit our need our absolute fundamental need to sense we belong and the sense of belonging how can we express that differently than just I'm a part of something because to be a part of something doesn't actually mean you're sensing belonging, it just means you're part of a team perhaps, or you're part of a field of work so belonging to me sits really at the centre of this idea of what we're going to commit ourselves to and be loyal to and repeat doing If you have a strong sense of belonging, how do you explain that to somebody else? And it might be worth just scribbling something on a bit of paper and going, well, I really don't know if I feel a strong sense of belonging, but I'm with these people anyway. See, a lot of my work, too, is with uh, people who've come out of gangs scenes. And this idea around what they committed themselves to and what they ended up with and the difference between what they had and what they were really wanting, which they didn't get in other places, in other relationships, whether it's power. uh, is really about working this stuff out, seriously working this stuff out and really being able to go, well, it was an emotional driver that that took me into that place and it might have been for generational kids who have grown up with parents who have been in their lifestyle of the gang part of a sense of wanting and I do hear this quite a bit I wanted to have my father's approval I looked up to these people you know so the, the bonding and the attachment and the beliefs that are wrapped around that are really based around answer, answering a question what do I need to do to fit in to feel that I'm respected that I belong Those desires are latent; they they sit within us before we're even cognitive. The basis of attachment and bonding is emotionally wired into how we develop. Um, so the the existential questions are really based around a couple of things. We do I come from? Where do you come from? What's our belief about the origins of life or biogenesis or the, the miracle of life? What's our purpose? Is there life after death? That's a really significant there's a young man who I really admire who's just been given when I say given he's, he's been told that the cancer that he has is really aggressive and six months is the time frame that he has to to work with we really don't know but he's in full treatment and I think this young man who is also a dad who's had an incredibly rough upbringing and traumatic and a lot of other things that have happened to him that you seem really unfair is facing the uh, the, the ultimatum that we all have to face and so existential to exist is to ask the question for what purpose I often hear a lot of people talking about this word we use we throw it out there potential what is potential so when people use that it's the idea often in the way that they frame it that There's something to grow into that's to be fulfilled in reality. And it's often used as you're not working hard enough, you're not going to reach your potential. As if it's a prophecy about predicting what somebody's capable of achieving. So I'll just drift off a little bit and talk about that in terms of Having something to accomplish that is meaningful. What are the things that I want to accomplish? I look at this now in terms of my own life. And really, within the context of knowing that at some point I will throw off this mortal coil, that I will have accomplished things that matter they matter to me and there's a reason why they matter so what is potential? It, it's sort of an idea that people are going to as I mentioned earlier grow into something that they are supposed to grow into so wrapped up within all of that is this idea that I need to work out what that is a lot of what we do is really interesting philosophically in terms of thinking about change and transformation and growth because growth isn't in one sense always happening in one sense there's a finitude to it eh? there's like well how how much change and growing needs to be happening and I think the way that we talk about growth and change to ourselves that's the you to you the interior you to you is really really important some people don't want to think in terms of destiny You have a destiny to fulfill, and some people kind of run away from really, you know, really researching that for themselves. Because if there is a destiny, there needs to be a plan, and with the plan. I heard it said the other day if you have a plan you also set up the conditions for failure and what's so hard about failure so emotionally failure can tell us or reaffirm some negative scripting that might be happening it might reaffirm the idea that we think our worth is attached to this thing that we were trying to achieve so everything's got an interesting uh, way of kind of sitting with us eh, in that space around loyalty relationally How do we build trust? And this is something I often talk to um, people about in groups. How do you build trust? How do you build that thing that creates the belief that you have someone's best interests at heart? and in therapy or in counselling I think one of the things that that we try to do is listen to what people are expressing not just what they're saying or sometimes in groups you're looking and you're reading the room for that what's happening here for people and I, I find and this is because I'm working often in a in, in cultural spaces that there's a kind of sense in which Pacifica people, me being part someone, you know, get that? We get the read of an environment. Our antenna is really alive to that, eh? and it's a real strength, I think, that we bring into our feeling and our sense of emotional intelligence or our EQ is pretty pretty high we're really thinking about how people are experiencing the relationships and we're wanting to hold that and we're wanting to affirm that what people say about themselves is re- really matters It really matters. So we've talked about potential. I've thrown in a little bit about destiny and purpose. Something about being latent, sitting within us, often to be realized. This one line hit me one day. It was the idea, I think it was the title of a book. It was called Living an an Unfinished Life. thought about that and I thought about the idea within narrative, within the narrative of our life the different chapters what we would write the chapter heading of our biography how we would want to express that if someone else was to read our story and not because we want to be celebrities, or ego-driven, but really, what is the story that we are living? In narrative theory and therapy, they talk about living storied lives. I find it really helpful, personally, to think about that. So what's the chapter that you're in, or the season of the life that you're in? what's the season that other people are in really important to think about life I think really early on and to teach this early on would be quite helpful for young people and students at school about the life course and about the future horizons and The reality that we really do have phases and stages and seasons in front of us and that sometimes uh, we can take the pressure off people by saying, well, you know, you don't have to fully commit to this, this and this at this particular space. education I often feel for students who are graduating you know because that's a real next step into what job are we going to get what's my career pathway looking like? And I think often we should be just, just encouraging more the life skills, the social life skills, the emotional intelligence, because we know from studies and research that the employment life um, pathway is going to be quite diverse for this, this generation and to take the pressure off people a little bit around their thinking and their their mindset going into the so-called employment market. One of the things that I've been experiencing and we've been working through a little bit is about when people are processing a faith transition and that might be moving out of a church or converting from one faith to perhaps another. And the sense of change and giving up on what we once held to be rock-solid true, man. So to move from a core belief or to replace a core belief or to modify a core belief is really Challenging. And for some people it can be quite uh, painful and disorientating because they're moving away from the comfort of what they once held to be true. Um, And it can create a sense of limbo so disorientation and dislocation that, that goes on internally for people is huge and wanting to find anchors in those times when it's quite stormy is, is kind of like a a paramount thing to try and do. So finding an anchor when there's been a lot of disorientation it's like finding your sea legs, you know, in in a rocky ferry, crossing the Cook Strait and the loss of some of those relationships in those communities, you feel it because you've done some time with these people, you've done some uh, regular kind of meeting because most most religions have a, a regular ritual whether it's a Sunday or a Saturday whatever it is and it's a commitment that that you have made or I have made to be a part of that regular ritual so I feel for a lot of people who who get to a place in their own faith journey where the letting go of some of that that ideological stuff some of that doctrine moves them away from what were once quite secure relationships you see that when church splits Or you also see it when people are wrestling with the authoritarianism, and that's really, really difficult because it's like a process of differentiation. I mean, not everybody goes into those places and, and forms relationships and bonds, and, and you know, will say that, "Oh, this is my community." really wants to not have that community or a community so again it's part of the the reflecting on where I belong where I fit what I truly 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 believe and the the noise that kind of can be act like a coffee cart. I don't call it coffee cart religion. The rewards that we get from participating. And some of them are really good, and some of them are, are appropriate, and some of them are healthy, and some of them aren't. So, coming back to this authoritarian thing, I'm really. I struggle with the idea of, of uh, people positioning themselves somehow as closer to God, which is different from somebody who's learned the tradition and studied the tradition and is able to talk about the tradition and is a teacher. But those that position themselves as they're closer the hearing God whisper to them you know the people the self-proclaimed prophets I just I just think it's just better to carry a kind of critical eye on on the impact that they have on you So that's my opinion around uh, the way that some of that belonging stuff and the psychology of that belonging stuff happens in in different communities. And it's not because I'm anti the supernatural, transcendent worldview. I mean, I have in my own experience... a a belief that I would say is rock solid in this idea of God actually being interested personally in the details of all of our lives so I do believe in the supernatural we would call it supernatural or cosmic geography is how one scholar Michael Heiser puts it and I also believe there's so much that we just don't understand that's mysterious and that humans actually have an innate desire to experience that otherly other will too much of it because I think then people get, get into places that can be quite quite damaging and the idea of manipulating other people through using you know more darker forms of magic which does exist. I could tell you a few stories around that, but I won't. Um, Basically, is, from my perspective, really risky. You just don't want to muck around with some stuff, man. get into that because Sensing Bros is a little bit about, about the uh, supernatural which I find really interesting when I was growing up I really liked um, the mysteries the Bermuda Triangle UFOs etc and I, I still have a interest in those spaces like ESP extrasensory perception you know is it what's the science around that i i'm really intrigued by i also think fundamentally that we do have a soul and we do have a mind and we do have a body and but i am not just my body i'm not just my mind i'm not just a spirit And I find that way of thinking about who I am as I travel through this life has really become more and more helpful to me. Now around this idea around betrayal, if you've been betrayed, what has that told you about yourself? So you don't get to my age without having gone through some sense of betrayal and betraying other people, being disloyal or loyal, disappointing somebody and being disappointed. You just you can't get to my age and not have had that experience at some point. So what does that tell me about myself? Why do people have affairs? And why generally do most people find it hurtful when they discover that their other, significant other, is cheating on them, what does it tell them? What does it say about them? Why is it so painful to be let down by someone who you are intimate with in that way? And there's something about flipping back to the potential is because it's not supposed to happen. It's not what we believed would be happen and nobody gets into, it's like people getting into um, places where behaviourally they are addicted and that could be whether you're in gambling or or, um, alcohol or drugs or all of them sometimes I'm with people who are working through all of that and they are bonded and they've been hooked and they find themselves stuck, really stuck and around that stuckness there's all sorts of things that they start doing that they never intended to do at the beginning a lot of it is uh, lying they'll lie to their loved ones they'll deceive they'll rationalize what they're doing is okay and is not as bad as what it is Is the thing we call discounting they'll discount the harm that it's causing them in the future for the moment that it's potentially either you know addressing their need to feel better than what they feel at the moment by using so a lot of the the Sadness and the tragedy and the stuff that happens when people get really hooked they eh, requires a lot of love and care and tenderness to unpack that. And if it's a, and to unpack that in terms of their core beliefs about what relationships mean. So a guy who's jealous who gets really really jealous has a belief about himself and the way he will control and inappropriately through a number of different manipulative manipulative means come from that real deep sense of insecurity. So, what's insecurity? What is it to be secure? Because I was really insecure when I uh, sort of hit my teens. And some people like me, like, you know. were really unprepared for the adult world I had notions of what it would be but there was no planning around what it would be and a lot of the relationships that I saw on TV were influencing the way I thought romantic relationships were and I took my guide from that because I was quite a sensitive guy you know, some people aren't but I was very emotionally insecure in my own sense of worth I'm not now though I mean now a few decades on you have to face it and deal with your own vulnerability and and make some think mistakes that you regret because you weren't mature enough to and I use that word mature I wasn't mature in a place that meant that I did not try to manipulate and some people try to do it out of bad intent some people just do it because you're hurting and what's the difference? Well, bad, bad intent is, is the narcissist, which I'd really like to get into a little bit because it's um, somebody called it the secondhand smoke of mental narcissism. And fortunately, I had enough ingrained in me some of the, the values around. Um, serving others that was ingrained in me early on Uh, and what I mean not being subservient but just this idea that we should look out for somebody else we should actually care about what other people are going through was was a part of of the lives of some significant people around me growing up we say you know that at the core of that is I often felt that I did have a respect for that but when it came to romantic relationships I didn't understand really how the dream needed to become the reality And that no matter what you think you can control, you cannot experience love that's love truly if it's not freely given. You can hope that somebody's going to love you, but you can't experience it by making anybody love you. You just can't do it and you can I know it's interesting because some guys you know who are successful think that you can purchase that kind of intimacy but you can't purchase it someone you can you can live in a way that actually brings a sense of respect and admiration because of the way you are but people still freely give. So what in the lives of the people around you are you freely receiving? And what are you freely giving? just flick it back again a little bit there's a psychological idea around differentiation so differentiation is really about the choice that you're making knowing that you're responsible for those choices and you're not making them in a a sense of complying to authoritarianism so I'm a bit like that I'm a bit like if somebody insists that I do something that I don't believe in or agree with I've got a responsibility to find a way of saying no that's not okay okay that's a boundary setting thing I think actually I'd recommend this book Braving by Brene Brown Braving is an acronym but she's really good on talking about boundaries and what's not okay and what's okay and when I talk about maturity that's the ability to differentiate from somebody in a healthy way. There's a lot of people and I know a lot of younger people really from my background that rightly so don't want to disappoint the parental expectations but they're not really also kind of being allowed to to choose so for some people they're just they're stuck and living out the expectation of a dominating parent and those if that's the situation those young people move they will as soon as possible get away from that environment because what choice do they have and there's a lot of pain that people can carry with that and it can go for for a generation trying to sort it out you know and a generation I'm just talking a lot happens in 25 years so I've been talking for quite a bit I really hope that some of it might have planted something that's useful to you in some way I thought about playing a song called "Loyal," which is a Dave Dobbin classic Um, but well I'm undecided about what last song to actually play at the moment here's here's some lyrics I'll share with you of a song I wrote and I was talking with a couple of people one of the things when my grandfather was on my mother's side was older and went through dementia I remember looking into his eyes one day and I couldn't see him was, I mean, I could see him not knowing who I was and he was still looking with kindness, but I knew that he didn't know who I was anymore. So, this song really sort of kind of might wrap this up quite nicely and uh, it says they say that under heaven there are times and seasons a time to give with all your heart and a time for just receiving a time to question faith and a time for just believing a time to hold on with all your might and a time for just releasing but if a leaf should fall Out of season. Precious memories in a lifetime are not lost. They just lie hidden. Because one day we will. One day we will. One day we will all return. To the beauty we have come from. And if my mind. Loses time. Still. My soul will hold on to your kindness because one day we will return to the beauty we have come from so hopefully I get to record that at some point won't be me singing it though yeah get one of the brothers so here's the thing man I don't know why I keep saying man I just kind of like it's just one of those things I grew up with here's the thing we need someone to affirm that we matter a lot not just a little bit but a lot we need someone to affirm that in some way and sometimes affirmation is just a thank you and some people go through a whole day and I hope it hasn't been your day and you've, you just haven't heard thank you. But I hope that what you've done has is, is, is been thankful. And that's why I like a lot of positive psychology's emphasis on the power of gratitude. Because it's appreciation, gratitude and appreciation. So we all need that. And when we think about that, the other big thing that I want to talk about in the next show is this idea about who is my neighbor and yesterday you know just thinking about what the commemorations of the mosque tragedy I drove past the mosque and I, today and my heart just sank again so who is my neighbor and I'll end on this note too that you know in the counselling world and in the therapy world you're taught a lot about um, managing boundaries professional boundaries and ethics and that's all good and proper here's my thing around that if I'm working with a man in my heart in those moments they're my brothers so here's the question who is my brother and over the next wee while I really want to work around stuff about what it is we're doing to create a strong sense of belonging not just a weak sense of belonging, but a strong sense of belonging in our teams that we're working with, you know. And, of course, most importantly, in the sanctuary of our homes. So much love and respect. And if I don't hear or see you given this medium, At some distant time I hope we meet when we all return to the beauty that we've come from cool take care take care look out look out for people look after yourselves much love dying. Children hurt and you, hear them you practice what you preach and won't you turn the other cheek? father father, father.